Welcome to Persons of Interest, a podcast featuring interviews with interesting people doing interesting things, diving into careers, personal stories, life lessons, and more. Here's your host, Derek Dockett. Thank you all for listening to the Persons of Interest podcast. I really appreciate my guest in this episode for coming on because he just wrapped up a very long career writing the Bloomington Panagraph in Central Illinois, almost 42 years writing at the Panagraph for Jim Benson. Jim, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast. How's retirement treating you so far? You're about a month in now, right? I am about a month in. Actually, my first day was April 1st, so it was like April Fool's. You were tired, but it's been treating me very well so far. I'm getting used to it rather quickly. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for hopping on. And I really like to use this platform to shed a spotlight on some people that I've interacted with or maybe some that I haven't interacted with, but what they've done for a living and things that stand out for them in their time and how they got there. But we were talking before we got re- recording and I didn't realize. So when I started working at the Missouri Valley in 2010, you were already on the Illinois State men's basketball beat. You started there in 2006, I believe. Correct. Yep. Yeah. We'll get into that a little bit, but I didn't realize 42 years at the Pantograph, that's the only job you've had? One job. And it's what's funny, too, is my wife was a school teacher at Normal Community High School here in Bloomington Normal. And that was her only job for 38 years. So wow. our daughters kind of laugh at us to like we're really like dinosaurs. They've been out of college for 15 years and they each of us have had three or four different jobs and all that. So, yeah, it's a very rare. That's for sure. That is amazing. Like I myself have switched jobs, not a ton, but in this time, people in their careers, they're often switching, looking for the next opportunity. But that says something for your run. Did you know you wanted to be a writer when you got started? How did you fall in love or or just grab hold of journalism and writing? Yeah, I felt obviously, I think guys like me fall in love first with sports when they're growing up. And And I just love sports. Got that from my dad more so than my mother. My dad was a big, we grew up in the Chicago area. Big, He was a big Cubs fan. A funny story was my, I was a Cubs fan when I grew up until I was about seven. And our grandmother was a White Sox fan. And she would take us, my brother and I, and a couple of my uncles, we'd go down to Comiskey Park a lot and kind of turn into a Sox fan White Sox fan, which just broke my dad's heart. <laughs> he had two sons growing up Cubs fans and all of a sudden were White Sox fans. And we always teased him about it his whole life. But uh, I just knew I wanted to do something in sports. And even at an early age, I used to sit at home and I'd write a, I'd just write about sports that I watched on TV. And I'd do a little like newsletter and call it Benson's Best. And i I think I still have the copies down in my basement. My parents saved them for years. And then when they moved out of their house that they grew up in, they gave it to me. And I'm pretty sure it's still in my basement right now, even just a file cabinet of all the stuff. And that's that's how I got started. Wow. That's awesome. That's how you find 
people tend to migrate what they're interested in, what they like, and find a way to, if they can't be directly in it, find a way if you're on the peripheral of it, whatever it is. And right. it sounds like that's what happened to you. Exactly. Uh, was it in high school, in college? What was it that you really, outside of like the sports attachment to it, that you found, I could make a living doing this? This is can work for me? What yeah. was it for you that flipped that switch? Yeah, and really, I, then I went to a smaller high school in Dwight, Illinois, between this actually between Bloomington and Chicago. And our school was like 400 students at the time. So we didn't even have a school newspaper. Okay. I didn't, I wasn't able to do it then, but I was one of those guys that wasn't a great athlete. I ran a little track and cross country, but like in the basketball team, I always kept the scorebook my, all my four years in high school, but I always knew I wanted to do that. And I, w- I don't want to brag on myself, but I was a pretty good student and I was good in English too. And I was a good writer and all that. And I had a couple teachers who knew what I wanted to do and they really encouraged me to do that in college. And so that's how I went from there. And then I went to the University of Illinois and majored in journalism. There you go. Nice. Out of college, is it straight to the pantograph? What opened the door for you to get that gig there that you'd hang on for such a long time? Yeah. As as one of those guys who just sent out at that time, like hundreds of resumes all over the country. And I had a couple nibbles and I had an interview in Hollywood, Florida. Nothing came of that. But about probably, I'm trying to think now, maybe like about three weeks after I was graduated. Jim Barnhart, longtime sports editor at the Panagraph, just called me on a Saturday night and said, hey, we have an opening. Are you interested? And I said, yeah, I'm very interested because I didn't have a, a job lined up <laughs> at that point. And he said, why don't we Why don't we do like a trial run for a week and see if, you know, you like us and we like you, et cetera. So I started on a Tuesday night, worked a couple of desk shifts. And by the end of that Wednesday night, he came up to me and he said, job's yours if you want it. Nice. So I wanted it. It was close to home. It was only an hour from my home in Dwight where my parents lived. And so I took it, but not thinking I would stay there for almost 42 years. I was one of these guys coming out of college where I'm, I do this in a, a mid-sized market and then I'll move on to, yeah. the, to the Tribune or a bigger paper. And, sure. and I did send out resumes for years. I bought the first seven, eight years. I did send out resumes to bigger papers and I never got a bite, but then I got entrenched in the Bloomington Normal community. It's a great community. Sports is very important here. And I just fell in love with it. And I met my wife here. And then we started having kids and she had a great job. So I just settled in. And I would say probably after about eight years, I never sent out another resume in my life. Wow. Wow. You, we hear so much about people that they want that next opportunity, that want that 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 chance to grow professionally. Did that sort of deter you when you didn't get those bites? For some people, family is more important. And it's for them to be close to home and if their family and their spouse, they're doing OK. That's good enough for them. But for others, they want that opportunity to move up and the financial benefits, professional benefits. For you, it seems like you, you just you said you settled in and made made the best of it. Did that sort of motivate you just to become better at it and be better where you were? Yeah, that's exactly what it was, Derek. Yeah. At first, when I probably up until about my fifth or sixth year, I was bummed that I wouldn't get any bites or anything like that. I thought I was good enough. But it's just, it, I think it's obviously, we'll talk about it later, but it's obviously it's a really hard industry now. But yes. even then it was hard to just move up, just take that next step. You just needed the right break and I didn't get it. But but then I did settle in and I wanted to become the best I was in where I was at the time. And 
like I say, sports was sports wouldn't have been so important to the community of Bloomington Normal. I think I would have either gotten out of it or we're really tried maybe some other sports information or something like that. Sure. But it was really important in Bloomington Normal and and I settled in and just have loved living here even 42 years. I don't even, we don't even see ourselves moving from here because it's such a great community. So yeah, yeah. I settled in after about 1987, 88. I've never worked in journalism myself, but I'm pretty familiar. And for most folks that don't know, you don't just jump right in and you, you build up and you mentioned you, you had desk jobs, you got started with there. You've got your columnists, you got your beat writers. Any one specific thing, because I know in your final piece, you talked about how being a columnist isn't necessarily wasn't your thing. You're, you're on the Illinois State beat. You covered Illinois Wesley, I believe, for football and, and a lot, lots of preps there. For some writers, they prefer a type of style. They prefer doing certain things. For you, was it one certain style, one certain aspect of the writing that you enjoyed more than the others? Yeah, the first, I would say, up until Jim Barnhart retired in 1988, at our paper, we didn't have specific beats. Everybody just did a little bit of everything, which was frustrating. I really wanted to do college basketball. I just always loved college basketball and it, it blew me to know at the time, but the Panagraph, we also, we covered Illinois State, Illinois Wesleyan, and we also covered the University of Illinois, which is only 40 miles down, mm-hmm. down the road. So I wanted to do something really in, in a beat wise and all that. And then when Jim Barnhart retired, Brian Bloodworth took over and he instituted beats. Okay. And I got the U of I basketball beat which to me was heaven. I'd gone there to school at the Daily Illini. I was a sports editor my senior year. I got to know Lou Henson at that time too. So to be able to cover Illinois basketball and cover him at that time, I felt like I was at a big paper, to be honest with you. (laughs) And really my first year covering the, because I had covered off and on games for them in those first seven years when we didn't have beats. But my first year covering the Illinois beat full-time, they went to the final four. Yeah, exactly. In Seattle. And they really, you're probably too young to remember it. I don't know if you do or not, but they had the best team in the country that year. And they lost in the semifinals on a last second shot to Michigan, a team they had beaten twice during the season. They had won the last regular season game at Michigan by 20 points, ran them off the court. And then they came back in the semifinal game. It was the flattest game they had played all year. They just, wow. I think they thought they were in the championship game because they had beaten them. But that, that semifinal game in Seattle, Illinois, Michigan, I think there was like nine NBA, future NBA players on the court in that game. Oh. It was interesting. That was the, and I covered, so I covered Illinois up until 2006. So I covered the 2005 Illinois team that got second in St. Louis in the championship game. Yeah. And I remember a couple, I remember that year, Gary Childs from the Peoria Journal Star, he had covered the Illini in 89 and he wasn't on the beat in 2005, but he had come over for a game and he said, give me your honest opinion. Which Illinois team is the better team? And I said, there's no doubt that 1989 team was the best team I ever covered in my life. Wow. That says something. And for them, that wow, that's pretty good. I, I do remember. Yeah. I think that's the infancy of my sports acumen when I really start getting into it, which is funny because that leads into my next question. A young basketball player by the name of Michael Jordan starts to really make his mark in the NBA. And I forget the year, but I remember in your farewell piece, you said you even had the opportunity to do a one-on-one interview with Michael Jordan. What was that like? We've had now his career's over. We've had the last dance. 
the retrospective about his career. How does the beat writer, the cop, the writer from Central Illinois, get the uh, the sit down time with Michael Jordan? Yeah, this is a good story. I went up to Doug Collins was the Chicago Bulls coach at the time. It was 1988, and an Illinois State graduate, obviously. Doug, I had interviewed Doug a couple times before that when he had come to Bloomington Normal for certain things before he really got back in or got into coaching and all that. So I, Brian sent me up to Chicago to do a feature story on Doug. And he said, hey, while you're up there, see if, if there's any way you can talk to Jordan. And Tim Hallam was the Bulls PR guy at the time. And he was an Illinois State graduate. I had not known Tim really well, but Brian had. And he told me I was coming up, et cetera. So I saw Tim before. Yeah, I got up there real early to the game and I said, I knew the locker room was open before the game. And I said, what time's the locker room open? He says, it's open 5.30 to 6.30. He said, yeah, just go in and grab anybody and all that. So I waited till about quarter to six. <laughs> so I didn't want to be the first one in there. Didn't want to be the first one in there. And honest to God, this was at the old Chicago Stadium. You crawl, go down this, these rickety stairs down to the locker room and all that. And I opened the door in the locker room and I am not kidding you. There was no reporters in there except me. Wow. It was really before the explosion. I think two years later, the locker room would have been full at 530. People would have been waiting at the door. But just at that time, it really wasn't a big thing. So anyway, so I'm going around the locker room. I'm talking to a couple guys about just getting stuff about Doug Collins and all that. And I'm looking for Jordan. I'm thinking this is just when he was really starting to become really Michael Jordan, like you said. Yeah. I can't find him and all that. And all of a sudden I look and right behind the door, when you when I came into the locker room, there's a cubicle there, one of the players' cubicle. And it was Jordan's. And he's behind, so he's in his cubicle, just in his own world, in his own trance, has headphones on like you have right now. <laughs> I thought to myself, this is it. This is my one chance in my life, probably, to talk to Michael Jordan. One-on-one, nobody else there. So I went up and... Kind of, he kind of looked at me and I, he took his headphones off and I introduced myself. I shook his hand and I told him I was from Bloomington and obviously Doug Collins, Illinois State and all that. And he was very nice and he answered my questions for 10 minutes and really good. And here's the only thing. That's when I had a tape recorder, a cassette tape recorder. I don't know why I did not save that tape. Oh, I know it. It's just it's just one time my dad caught a baseball from Mickey Mantle at a White Sox game. Mantle threw a baseball into the crowd. My dad caught it. I remember it at Comiskey Park. My brother and I were throwing it that 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 afternoon out in the yard. Baseball from <laughs> and it was just like that. It was just like why didn't I save? It? I don't know why I didn't save it. But it, so that was my like I say one chance to talk to Michael Jordan and it was just by myself too, which was great. It was, he was very nice. He was really nice. Answered all my questions. Shook my hand afterwards. And at the time, D.A. Wybring, Illinois State grad, he used to have his charity golf outing in Bloomington Normal every summer at the ISU golf course. And he was trying to get Jordan to come and through Doug and all that. And it, they just couldn't arrange it for one reason or another. And I told Jordan, I said, hey, I'd really like to see you down sometime. And he said, yeah. He said, I'd really like to do that. And he never came. They just never could work it out. Yeah. After that, they probably couldn't have because they'd have probably needed the police there to escort and all that. But that was my coolest interview probably of my life. 
It's funny you mentioned you go in there and you're the only person in there. That says something for how media has changed, especially just in your tenure working back then till till wrapping up now, just taking social media out of the mix, but television, writers, the newspapers that have now shut down, the writers that have gone from newspapers to just strictly writing for the the athletic and websites only, podcasters, you name it. Everyone that gets a credential that's in there and these media scrums and think about Michael, you talking to Michael Jordan in 1988 and the difference between then and Michael Jordan doing an interview, not even the playoffs, just like a regular season game in, wow. say, 1996 and yep. at that portion of his career and how much more media attention he would be getting. That's yeah. just blows yeah. me away that you get the opportunity to just walk up and it's just you and Michael Jordan. So outside of the tape, you really need someone with a picture uh, to capture yeah. you guys there. Oh, That's no, awesome. Man. Yeah, it was so strange. I just was stunned when I went in that locker room. Like I said, I was the only reporter. Yeah. I just could I just couldn't believe it. Now, like you say, it changed so much. Even a couple of years after that, their practices there was reporting. Yeah. People, yeah. the reporters found out they needed to be at practices even anymore, and changed really fast. Right around that time, really, actually. Yeah, and then that's when they started championships. That 1990-91 season, they started right. the first three peat. So of course, the attention started to come with them too. You mentioned 2005, your last year on the Illinois beat covering their final four. In 2006, you switched to the Illinois State beat. And I didn't realize this. I went to Missouri State, most of my listeners know. Really started, I had no idea about how great the Valley was and everything. Lived in St. Louis my entire life. Some was familiar with the tournament, but until I got to Missouri State, then Southwest Missouri State, was where I really started paying attention because I love college basketball. And my first year was 1997 down there. So I got to live through the Sweet 16 and 99. Fast forward, I don't know where the St. Louis kid gets a job working for the Missouri Valley Conference, which is also located in St. Louis in 2010, which is my how I met Jim and my first media day and things like that. But 2006, you took over the beat. The Redbirds never made the NCAA tournament. And you come from Illinois where you had the chance to cover yeah. two Final Fours. And here you are. I don't think you are the jinx, but hey, Missouri <laughs> State's been the same thing. They haven't made a tournament since 1999 and still right. counting. But the Redbirds don't make a don't make a beat. Don't make NCAA tournament, but still a lot of successful years that you got to cover for the Redbirds there. Yeah, I, I covered six Missouri Valley Conference tournament championship games with the Redbirds. Oh, and six. Oh. <laughs> Some of them were just, just really great games. Pro- probably the, the best Illinois State team that I covered was 2009. That's when Osiris Elton was a junior and yeah. Champaguchi. That was the one year he played for them. He had transferred from Oregon. I don't know if people remember a 6'6 guard to shoot lights out and all that. That was their best team, I think. And they played you and I in the title game and Illinois. And I still remember this. Illinois state has the ball with a minute left and they're up by three points and they miss a shot. And I think it was Brandon Sanpei got the rebound and there was nobody around him. He could have just put the ball back in and he had his back to the basket and he kicks it back out. And I talked to Tim Jankovic about it later in the summer after the pain kind of wore off. And he said there was a game earlier in the season, the same circumstance where Sampei 
got the rebound and went back up instead of kicking it out. And they had really just harped on him that, what were you doing and all that? And that was just in Sam Pay's mind at the time. Anyway, so Illinois State misses the shot. <laughs> you and I goes down and Farouk Manish buries about a 30-footer to tie the game. And then it goes in overtime and Illinois State loses. And that was the worst locker room scene that I'd ever covered in my life. And that, that, that's just <laughs> devastated. Just devastated. And that sounds like the craziness of Missouri Valley Conference yeah. basketball, heartbreak, yeah. jubilation on the other side, just right. down to the wire. Exactly. I can't think of all the adjectives and adverbs to say, <laughs> but my goodness. So you say that team was the best, one of the best, better it was than the, the best state team. The, okay. the second best was the, the 2012 team which also lost the Missouri Valley title yeah. game in overtime to Creighton. That was the Nick Moore team, yep. uh, Dickie Carmichael. That was the only year. that one. Yeah, Nick played at Illinois State, and that was a great championship game. At Illinois State had beaten Wichita in the semifinals, which was a big upset, and Creighton was ranked two at the time. Both Creighton and Wichita were ranked at the time. They were great teams and all that. Yeah. And Illinois State, they had a chance to win that game, and they just couldn't pull it off. But, man, that was a good Illinois State team. Tyler Brown was there, too. They they had a lot of firepower on that team that year. I always love one of the great things about the Valley. What it's always been the radio guys and the beat writers. They've all been around so long. And now a lot of those guys are moving on, sadly, like yourself. Yeah. But there's a lot of, especially on the radio side, a lot of those guys still around doing their craft. But because of the history, they remember these things like you remember. And it's funny because I don't think of myself in that same category, but I put in eight years on the conference staff and just my time as being a Missouri State alum. I still keep in touch. And it's just a great league to follow and to keep up with, which I'm sure you will now that you've got time just to sit back and enjoy things. But yeah, it's really a fraternity. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I can contrast that with when I covered Illinois. It was so different covering Illinois State than covering Illinois. Illinois, you're just kind of one of, it seemed, 100. But in the Valley, I was one of basically one of 10 or 12 guys. Yeah. And not even 12 anymore because some teams don't even have beat writers anymore. Right. Just sad. But it was such a great fraternity. And the years when I started in the Valley, Paul Sullentrop, mm-hmm. State, State beat writer, Dave Reynolds, Peoria. It's just some great guys who were the beat writers at the Lindell Scranton and mm-hmm. yep. Missouri State, obviously. Who am I? Uh, the guy from Creighton. I'm sorry. I can't even think of his name right uh, now. Oh, great guy. And he's, Yeah, I'm blanking on two and I'll remember it because I when I remember my last, one of my last trips to Creighton, his daughter, who's now a softball coach, actually, gosh, she was working in the Creighton Sports Information Office. That's going to, his name's going to get me, but I'll put it, I'll edit it back in, in the podcast yeah, later. Yeah, oh, and obviously he's deceased now. And yeah. What a great guy, though. Just So it was just a fraternity of guys like that was just, and I should say Todd Golden, too, because Todd had started yeah. at Coat the year before I started in the Illinois State Beat. And obviously him and I, we worked 16 years almost together on, on our beats and all that. But yeah. just the, the fraternity of guys like that. Steve Pivovar. That's his name. Steve, thank Steve you. Pivovar. Oh, yeah. oh, what a great guy. I just yes. love that guy. Oh. But just the fraternity of those guys was just awesome. And I mean, it, and it was so much fun going to the tournaments and we'd all be together. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, yeah, obviously when you hit each spot and all that, but then every all of us together and all that, we just, we all had a great time together. And I really miss that as the Valley kind of newspapers, some newspapers didn't cover the teams anymore and different teams left and all that. I really miss that. 
Yeah. So that's one thing I want to ask you about, too, how the media has just changed. And specifically because you worked at the Panagraph, just newspapers and you guys being in central Illinois are able to sustain and obviously your longevity there. Uh, but when you see that, when Loyola Chicago joined the Missouri Valley Conference in Chicago, a large yeah. market, Loyola didn't have a beat writer. They would get coverage here and there. And then the right. final four happens. And then the city of Chicago pays attention. Now we've got the markets that don't even have a writer. Some don't have a paper or they're outsourcing or they're just taking whatever coverage they, they attach to. As a writer, a longtime writer, how does how do you react to that when you see just the dwindling of how the media, especially newspapers, ha- has gone over the years? Oh, it makes me incredibly sad. It's just, it just bums me out. And it has changed so much so fast in the last 10 years. It used to be even 10 years ago, almost every paper had a beat writer and they would travel with the team and all that. And slowly it got to, like you say, where a school like Loyola comes in and they don't even have a beat writer. And then papers that were cutting back, they wouldn't let their guys go on the road anymore, which I was lucky at the Panagraph. They let me go on as much on the road for the most part, my, my whole time, even up to this last year. And I really appreciate that. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's incredibly sad. And I, and I worry that the fans aren't getting the same kind of they, now and in the future, especially they won't be getting the same kind of yeah. coverage that they have. And all they'll be getting is just basically the university releases anymore on that. And to me, that's just, that's incredibly sad. Yeah, yeah, it is unfortunate because I don't think people realize the difference in the quality of coverage you get. Like you mentioned your ability to travel with the team and if there's it's a big game you never know what's going to happen and getting the instant reaction going to the post-game press conference or being able to talk to the coach in the locker room or something uh, about what happened you just add so much to it and and then even a guy like you started using your cell phone to capture video footage and things like that that stuff really does does help and i would think that the papers will see that as a value add but not all do i know business models or a thing it's like here, and I definitely want to ask you about this. Here in St. Louis, we've seen, I don't know if it's a cutback, they, the staff-wise on the prep sports scene, it's, it's like a bunch of freelancers now. They've cut back on the full-time staff. And again, I don't work for that 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 paper, that entity, so I'm not sure what their strategy is. But you spend a lot of time covering the high schools there. And I know, especially myself, after working for a school district, working in a K-12 education, how much much the families appreciate that coverage and how much the kids love seeing themselves in the paper. But also that's part of the fabric of the community when you can write about high schoolers winning the state championships and things like that. I know you've had several of those great memorable things you've had to be able to capture as well in central Illinois. Yeah. And that's some of the highlights of my career, my prep stuff. Those are some of the things I, people think my biggest memories would be of the college stuff I covered. And the prep stuff is just as, has been just as important to me as that. And to see that scaled back, who there's nobody left to do that then oh. besides the 10 second TV clip, the highlight of some kid hitting a home run in a baseball game or something like that, that, that I feel bad about that. I feel horrible about, I, maybe I feel more horrible about that than I do the, the cutting back of the college coverage at a lot of places because yeah. I, I, you referenced my last column and all that. And I ended it with something that a coach had sent me my last week at the, the Panagraph telling me how much 
stories that I did impacted kids' lives, not only then, but in the future and all that. And I told my wife when I got that note from that coach, I God, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I, you don't think about that when you're in the battle. But, right. but then, especially a couple of weeks into my retirement here, you kind of are glad that you were able to help, you know, people and give them a great celebration for, for their life. You never think about it. Maybe the story you did on some softball player, that was the biggest highlight of their athletic career and you were part of it. And that's something they still remember 20, 30 years. That kind of blows you away. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of stuff I'm really going to miss. Yeah, I had not a writer at all. But when I was working in the school district doing some sports marketing, I took some photos of just some games and things like that. And a really, really good baseball team at one of the high schools and went out to a district championship game and shot some photos and, and happened to catch a kid. It wasn't a walk off home run. He had a home run to for his team to take the lead in the sixth or seventh inning and just got this really great shot. And fast forward just literally like a few weeks ago, like two weeks ago. I'm at a high school game and I ran into this kid's dad. His daughter is now at high school. He goes, yeah, you're Derek Dockett, aren't you? You took a picture of my kid. And when he hit that home run, I tell you what, that is going to turn out to be his like his moment because right. he had an opportunity to go to college. It didn't work out, but now he's just, he's working and there he's, I'm going to get that picture framed and we're going to get an art print made of it. And you, I'm just like, wow, like he's telling me about just how that moment was a thing and how they're just cherishing that, that one photo. And I got to him a little bit and I shot a bunch of games of their season that year, but it, it does hit you when they, you realize, I mean, especially at the high school level, yes. this is their time. And it means a little bit more to them because they don't know if they have that opportunity. And nine times out of 10, they don't have an opportunity after college unless they're the superstar stud athlete. But it does matter to them. And you're right. It to me. And it's weird. I think I've become a little bit more passionate more about the high school level because there is the lack of video streaming. They don't have the ESPN plus and the ESPN three. And they're not always getting the coverage. Like you said, they might get the home run or the dunk and a couple 30 second clips of something on the news and that's it. Not every game makes it on because there's so many high schools. There's so much little time. But you really hear about it when it does matter to them and they, they love to share it. I think that's awesome. So I'm sure it's great to hear that you got that feedback from folks too. And hopefully they can keep that going for them because I really think high school sports don't go away but man, it's great to be able to give them a little opportunity to shine as well. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, like I say, some of my favorite memories are especially covering the high school teams that won state championships or individuals who won individual state titles. Those are right up, right at the top of my memory list, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. I know you've got kids and family that you want to be able to spend time with. What's, I guess, in the immediate future, you're going to travel, you're working on a golf game. What are you going to do with yourself now that you don't have to watch, watch sports for a living? You can watch sports for leisure. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. I'm trying to think. Next month, my, my oldest grandson, or grandchild even, who's in St. Louis. He graduates from preschool. So May 18th is the big graduation from preschool. Right. And that's something I alluded to in my column too. And maybe that's something I, I couldn't have done. Yeah. If, if I just That might've been regional baseball time here in Illinois. And those are the moments I don't want to miss. So definitely spend it. I, we have three grandchildren now and they all live in St. Louis. So that's on there. And then a little travel, we're going to go to, we're going to go to Vegas in June. And then our other daughter lives in Maryland near DC. So we're going to go see her in September and then go down to Savannah, Georgia. I've always wanted to go to, we've always wanted to go to Savannah, Georgia. Heard it's a great city. So we're yeah. going to kind of make that a one trip there. And then, 
Actually, my wife just made reservations for next year, which will be our 40th wedding anniversary. We're going to go to England and Ireland. Look at you. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, awesome. And my, my, all my relatives were from Ireland and my parents their whole life talked about going to Ireland and they never did. Yeah. And I don't know why they didn't. And so I'm going to go for them, I think, a little bit in, in that trip and all that. So a lot of and a lot of golf too. working my golf game. I used to be about a 13 handicap, which isn't very good. And then I'm, I'm about 18 or 19 now. So I need to work on getting it down to 13 <laughs> a little bit here. So Randy Kindred, who was with at the Panagraph for 40 plus years until he retired a couple years ago, he's really got, gotten into golf since he retired. So we play once or twice a week. We're going to work on our golf game games together and nice. see what, what happens. So, yeah, but I'm just kind of looking at, and actually, and this is sad, Derek. I read a book since I've retired <laughs> for the first time. And I'm not joking you. I think the last book I read was uh, some St. Louis writer did a book on a Cubs Cardinals series a number of years ago when Dusty and uh, LaRusso were the managers and it just mm-hmm. kind of went through all great book. I can't even remember what the title of it was. That's the last book I read. <laughs> so I started my new project. I want to read a biography on every president. How about that? Awesome. Nice. Yeah. I was in nice. jury duty a, about a year ago and some guy who was retired and I had thought about that before, but he was doing it and he was about up to 15 or 16. I've started that project. I've gotten Ron Chernow's uh, book on George Washington, A Life it's called. It's okay. about 800 pages. I've already gotten through that and I'm almost done with my Adams book. So I'm getting there. Look at you. Look and at I, you. I actually went and got a library card the other day. <laughs> And I, I asked the girl and a woman at the counter, I said, I know I'm sounding dated here and all that, but where's the card catalog? I love it. So, I love it. So I'm doing a, a lot of different things here. So I'll, it's I'll like find a, things to do. It's like a whole new gym, Vince. It's like a whole new world for you, sir. It is. But I, but like you said, I still will be, I'll still be going to sporting events, maybe not as much and all that, but still definitely be going to, to games and all that, but just a different perspective. Uh, sitting as a fan, maybe having a beer in the stands and yelling at the referees like everybody else. <laughs> hey, I can tell you as someone that worked in sports, it's great to be able to do that, to just sit yeah. back and just take it in and not have to worry about, did I miss this? Did I get that? What was that? Hey, exactly. man, you you earned every bit of it. Thank you. You know, as like I said, I always point back to my time of the Valley. I just always appreciated the, the work that you guys did. Professionals, I know Mike Kern always tries his best to help you guys do your job the best you can because you guys always treated us. And I know I go back to the Doug Elgin time and he always tried to make time for for you guys and things like that. I know just from that, you guys just the ultimate professionals. And I, I'm speaking not just for you about you, but all the others that were beat writers during my time. But you, sir, have earned it. I wish you nothing but the best and enjoy all those trips. Enjoy your time with your grandkids. And that golf game will be back <laughs> to that that 12, 13 handicap before you know it. Thanks. And maybe I'll run into you at the St. Louis Zoo or something, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, that's my life now, too. I, it's, I made a little career switch and it was more about, hey, I've got a little guy, too, and I want to be there for those sure. moments. So I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah. And that that's a, and I tell you, that's one of the things that I missed a lot of stuff when my daughter's growing up because yeah. of the job and you don't get that time back. And that's probably my biggest regret, actually, missing yeah. so much family time and family weddings and all that. That, that. that was a tough part of it, but I ain't missing anything now. Let me there tell you. you. Go. There you go. Jim, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Derek. Hey, this was fun. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Persons of Interest. 
This podcast is a personal project with the goal of sharing stories that might inspire others to create their own path. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. If you have a guest suggestion, you can reach Derek on Twitter at ddocket. This has been Persons of Interest.